We continue this morning in our study of the book of Zechariah, a study which is now about 12 weeks old. And so if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there with me. We are in Zechariah chapter 10. As I look to the next few weeks and these chapters ahead, we will likely be taking a chapter a week. Seems like a big chunk. It is a big chunk, but I'm trying to walk this line between not getting bogged down in all the details, which we certainly could do, but also not feeling rushed. As I have looked and surveyed my peers, preachers who have done different things, some guys break up these chapters into little chunks and go on flights of fancy. Others take chapters together. Some preach 10 and 11 together, and I'm trying to find a middle ground that I think is helpful for our lives together, particularly as we get into this last section of Zechariah, which is, frankly, I mean, it's God's Word. We love it. It's for us, but they're not as exciting as the first half of the book because the first half of the book was filled, remember those of you who've been here, with this vivid imagery and these visions that uh, Zechariah was given that we had to unpack and kind of figure out what the Lord was trying to say. Now we've been working through these oracles, and we began last week looking at this oracle of judgment that God pronounced on Israel's enemies, a judgment that gave them hope. And a judgment that we now, in 2023, look back on and are encouraged by the reality that His promises are true. That these things actually came to pass in time and space and in history. And that brings us hope that all of His Word is true. All of His promises for us are true. Well, this morning as we come to chapter 10, we kind of have an eye to the future that he will bring, but he addresses the propensities of his people today, both in the day that he wrote this as well as I think and I hope to show to us here this morning. Above all, as I prayed, what I want us to see in this passage, what I want us to see in all of the Scripture, though he is not as crystal clear in every chapter of the Bible, he is the point and that is Jesus. And so I hope to see Jesus clearly in this passage. He's not explicitly mentioned, but his shadow is everywhere. And to a people who are in need, he is what we ultimately need. So last week, the title of the message was The Promise Keeper. And this week, we turn to The All-Sufficient One. And so, let's look at God's Word together. I'm going to read Zechariah chapter 10, the entirety of the chapter, verses 1 through 12. And if you're able, as is our custom here at Ascension, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Zechariah chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. This is God's Word. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and He will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds. 
And I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets, They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them, and they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scatter them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt, and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead, and to Lebanon, till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles, And strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Israel shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in His name, declares the Lord. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. Go to be seated. Three truths for us to consider as we walk through this passage. Three truths that we could actually group around three curious objects that appear in our passage. The first being rain, the second being a tent peg, and the third being a whistle. Let's start with the first one. In the midst of drought, Jesus is our all-sufficient life. In the midst of drought, Jesus is our all-sufficient life. Let's begin with the first object mentioned in our passage. It's rain. We know something about rain here in the Pacific Northwest, don't we? Uh, We know about rain because we experience it a lot. But I'm fairly certain that we don't appreciate rain like we should. At least not like these folks appreciated rain. Right, Those living in the ancient Near East in an agricultural society that depended upon a strong harvest and healthy livestock, both of which depended on the plenty that came from the sky. For them, rain was a necessity of life. And of course, for us here today in our world, that hasn't changed, though we live in a very wet climate and we have technology to help mitigate the lack of rain, even in other places where rain is more scarce. If you're a farmer and if you're in the middle of Iowa, you need rain. Rain is a fundamental building block for life. In Zechariah's day, in his time and place, the harvests had been recently quite lean. Haggai, who we've mentioned before as a contemporary to Zechariah, 
wrote in chapter one of his prophecy about the situation, he says to God's people, you have sown much, but you have harvested very little because the heavens have withheld dew. And so in this passage, the first thing that we are immediately confronted with in this oracle is this statement, ask rain from Yahweh. Ask for rain. Now it seems so simple. It seems like such an unnecessary reminder. In your greatest need, call to the one, the only one who can fill that need. Call to the one who made heaven and earth, who upholds it by the word of his power. He is your help. Ask the Lord for rain. But you see, there's a problem, and the problem is the human heart. Because when desperation kicks in, temptation at time finds a home, which results or can result in us taking matters into our own hands. And for God's ancient people, this came in the form of what was known as the teraphim, these idolatrous images that were kept at shrines that were sometimes brought into homes that were used by pagan diviners to effect change, like maybe bring about some rain. Baal, after all, he's a familiar God to those of us who know the Old Testament. Baal, the Canaanite God, was known or was thought to control the storm clouds, which are mentioned here in chapter 10. So perhaps he could help. We might as well cover all our bases, right? And that kind of thing was the exact opposite of trusting Yahweh. And Yahweh says, don't go there. Have you not learned anything, my people? Look to me. Ask me. Verse 2, those gods, those so-called gods that you are asking, those diviners, they give empty consolation, our text says. Compare that with the phrase in chapter 1, verse 13, where the prophet says this, the Lord, that is Yahweh, answered with gracious and comforting words. Empty consolation, empty comfort, or comforting words. Where is true comfort to be found? Of course, this is the kind of thing that has plagued God's people for centuries. And it still does today. Because this is more, as this comes to our hearts this morning, this is more than just about rain about precipitation. We've, we talked about this some in discipleship hour earlier. This is about idolatry. I mean, let's take a step back and ask, in how many areas of our lives is this tendency true? You see, we're no different than God's people. Our needs have changed. The context is different, but the hearts are the same. Where are we failing to trust failing to pray, and instead looking to our own idols, idols of our own making for help, for security, satisfaction. And of course, I assume that we don't have 
teraphim on our mantles at home. But like the song says, we are looking for love in all the wrong places. Is it financial? Are you seeking security and and peace that comes from a hefty account? Is it regards to your health and safety? Avoiding every element of risk to the point of obsession? Is it the salvation of your loved ones? If I only can put together this perfect argument, then they'll believe. God says, whatever it is, whatever your figurative drought, cry out to Jesus, the all-sufficient life. Ask for rain and keep asking and ask again. I love Jesus' words spoken in the third person to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He comes to her and he says, If you knew who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. Whoever drinks of the water I give will never be thirsty again. And then in John 7, he says to the crowds, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In Jesus, through Jesus, we have been given, the apostle says, everything we need for life, and for godliness. And yet so often our hearts fritter after this or fritter after that. But this is more than about literal rain and it's more than about our present comfort today in Jesus. You see, I think this passage and even this cry to God's people, ask rain, is ultimately about future blessing. This is ultimately about what God intends to do. This is about cosmic restoration. See, what the prophet is using here is old covenant language that's pointing to new covenant blessings. For the rain in the prophets, in the prophetical writings, it's always been more than just about rain. As important as rain is to these people. And if they needed to ask God for little rain, they also needed to ask God for figurative rain. Listen to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. The prophet there says, For I will pour water upon the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. And then the prophet Joel speaks of the day of the Lord. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain. I will restore you. This is about restoration. And while there will be preliminary fulfillment of these words, of these promises of restoration in the life of God's people, in the history of the nation of Israel, this is pointing to something so much bigger, something so much more profound. You and I are here today because we are experiencing the first fruits of this blessing that has arrived in the person and work of Jesus. But there's more to come. There's more to be brought in. Sneaking ahead to verses 6 and 7, 
The prophet states that the Lord will not just bring in the house of Judah, but the house of Joseph as well. The northern kingdom as well he will include in this restoration. I was just reading this week in my Bible reading of that vision that Peter sees in Acts of the sheet descending that gives indication that God's heart has always been for the nations. Not just for the southern kingdom, not just for the northern kingdom, but for all who look to Him in Jesus. What's my point? My point is that part of the asking here, it's the only command in chapter 10, is ask for rain. My point is that part of the asking here as a corporate people is for revival. It's for more of the fullness of the kingdom to be seen in our lives and in our world. It's that first petition that the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a call, a reminder, not just to pray for our daily bread. Rain to water the crops. But to be praying, His kingdom come. And I think this is so important for us to hear. It's so important for my heart to hear. To not despair, though the cultural tide against God's people seems to be getting stronger and stronger and stronger. We as God's people need not despair, but pray, plead, Lord, make it rain. Pour out your spirit. Make this desolate land green. Give it life through your son, Jesus. So my question, church, is Can we do this? Rather than doubling down in despair, can we deepen in prayer? In the midst of this cultural drought that we're all living in, Jesus, You are our all-sufficient life. And we believe that You can bring rain. We believe that we don't have to turn the tide. It's not all up to us. Bring that life to us. That's the first point that I think we see in this passage this morning, but there's more. The prophet turns from this first exhortation, really the only exhortation, and he transitions a bit. He speaks with the frustration of those who should know better. I'm speaking of verse 3. It's our second truth this morning. In the midst of imperfect leaders... Jesus is our all-sufficient shepherd. In the midst of imperfect leaders, Jesus is our all-sufficient shepherd. Those of you who are members or regular attenders of Ascension know that for the last several months I've been meeting with elder candidates nominated within this church. Lord willing, in just about over a month, you'll hear more about this in the weeks to come, you'll be voting on these possible shepherds to lead and to feed and to know and to protect the flock that is known here as Ascension Presbyterian Church. Good leaders are essential for God's people. 
Well, no leader is perfect. Leaders are called to vigilance and to diligence because leading down the wrong path can be disastrous for God's people. And Yahweh doesn't mince words here. He says, my anger is hot against the shepherds. We don't know the specifics, but those entrusted with the responsibility have apparently abused their power and led God's people astray, away from his word, and down a path of destruction. It brings to mind, those of you who know the scriptures, Ezekiel 34, where the prophet there says, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and with harshness you have ruled them. I read those words this week, and those are daunting words. Who is sufficient for such things? This too is a cycle that God's people repeated again and again. Leaders failing to lead in faithfulness and integrity. And at some point, God says, I need to step in. Brothers and sisters, while I strive to be a faithful shepherd and while we need godly leaders who will fight for the flock, a better leader is needed. A better shepherd is promised. And this new leadership Yahweh will install in the midst of His people will transform them into a people of might and strength. Again, we see glimpses of this in Israel's history, but there is so much more to come. Three images of this leadership are given in our text. Images that all have royal association, but more than that, what I want you to see is the messianic qualities of these leaders, of ultimately this leader. Verse 4. Three things. The cornerstone. The cornerstone. The foundation upon which a building is built. Isaiah spoke of this too. Isaiah 28.16. This says the Lord God. Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Psalmist spoke of this in Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And of course, that rings in our ears. Ephesians chapter 2, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then there's a tent peg. Verse 4. There are a couple different ways we can understand this image, but they both convey a similar picture, right? A tent peg driven into the ground provides stability, provides strength against the elements, against the wind, against the rain. But then there is also, I won't read it, but Isaiah 22 verse 23 speaks of a peg being driven into a wall so that things could be hung securely on it. See, no matter what image you choose, this is an image of leadership that brings about consistent strength, stability, and ultimately, for the beneficiaries, rest. Like a rock. Like a refuge. 
Which is why Jesus said words like Matthew 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell. The winds came. The floods came. But it remained. So you have a cornerstone, you have a peg, and now a battle bow, which signifies military might. Psalm 110 spoke of this shepherd ruler who will execute judgment against the nations. Revelation 19 speaks of Jesus, the one riding on a white horse ready to vanquish his enemies. We are overcomers because he has overcome. Because our enemy, death, and our enemies of the future have all been dealt with. The point is, brothers and sisters, that while we ought to heed this warning concerning shepherds, we hope in the one who is our all-sufficient shepherd. In the midst of imperfect leaders, God himself will lead. And the fingerprints of Jesus are all over this passage because he will not lead us astray. He will never leave us or forsake us. And he is coming again to take us to himself. And that's where we end this morning. Point number three, in the midst of weakness and trouble, Jesus is our all-sufficient Savior. All-sufficient life, all-sufficient shepherd, and all-sufficient Savior. Did you ever have that friend growing up whose dad had the whistle to kill all other whistles? You know that whistle, that the fingers in the mouth? It was really cool if they used these two fingers. Stick those fingers in the mouth and just blow hard. Anyone know what I'm talking about? No matter where you were in the neighborhood, you could hear it was time for AJ to go home. It was even more impressive if you had a mom who could do that. <laughs> and my buddy Brian had a mom who could do that. And we'd hear her whistle. We knew Brian needed to come home. We've spoken about the rain. We've considered the peg. Now we're left with a whistle. Verse 8. I love these images. The good shepherd has a call, doesn't he? It's a call that Isaiah speaks of in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 26, where it says, He will raise a signal for nations far away and whistle for them from the ends of the earth. Now, if you think about that, that whistle, that call was actually summoning the nations to bring judgment. But here, in Zechariah chapter 10, the whistle is aimed at bringing His people home. The Good Shepherd has a call and the sheep know His voice. He's bringing salvation. So many images in these verses. We really don't have time to deep dive into each one of them, but He is gathering for them. You see this in verse 11. He is gathering them together for a new exodus, right? Passing them through the sea of troubles. Of course, the sea we know for the ancient person, the sea was a symbol of chaos, a symbol of danger, and here this leader that is spoken of is coming to lead through the sea because he can strike down the waves of the sea. 
And indeed, of course, that brings echoes of Jesus speaking to the storm and having it still. And then when you think about Jesus' life, in order for us to make it through the sea of trouble and chaos, what had to happen? Well, Jesus had to wade through those waters Himself. Waters of judgment. Ultimately, the cross. It's only then that we can be brought home. Verse 10. Brothers and sisters, while this prophecy and these promises that are spoken of here, I've said this already, while there's flashes of their fulfillment in different periods in Israel's history, the Maccabean period or other periods, this morning they speak most profoundly to us through Jesus. Hear God's Word to you. To those in weakness and trouble, to those bearing the scars of imperfect leaders, to those thirsty for comfort, thirsty for satisfaction, hungry for revival and for restoration, Jesus says, look at me. Look to me. Ask of me. Because I am the all-sufficient one. Turn from your idols. Listen for my voice. Rest in my salvation and get ready for my return. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this incredible oracle that You gave through Your servant Zechariah, one that brought hope to dismal circumstances among Your people. Hope of a ruler to come. One who would embody everything that You embody. Indeed, The only one who could do that is for You, Lord God, to come Yourself. And You did. You came in Jesus. And Jesus, You showed us, not just giving us a glimpse, but showed us who the Father was. And we long, Jesus, to see Your face once again. We long for all wrongs to be made right. And so we pray as we journey on as pilgrims here in this world that You would encourage us that You, Holy Spirit, would do Your work in us, causing us to turn from our idols, causing us to fall to our knees, causing us to look ever increasingly so to the all-sufficient One, the Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, work this in our hearts and in our lives, however you see fit. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.